the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times with me, Dominic Coyle, standing in for Kieran Hancock. This week, our focus is on Ryanair's latest woes and also the thorny issue of VAT and the hospitality sector, either side of the border. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash business. Before we start, an announcement about a live recording of this podcast in Dublin next Tuesday evening, October 3rd. Our last live show was on the future of banking. This time we're looking at the future of retail. Your usual host, Kieran, and a panel of experts will be discussing the changing ways people shop and what that means for the industry. The venue is the GPO on O'Connell Street in Dublin. It's a subscriber-only event, but we have some free tickets to give away. Just email us at businesspodcast at irishtimes.com. The first five people to mail in will get tickets. That's businesspodcast at irishtimes.com. Doors open at six, food and drinks will be served, and the recording, including a short Q&A session, will begin at 7pm and conclude at 8.15. Back to today. Later in the show, you'll hear from Adrian Cummins, the Chief Executive of the Restaurant Association of Ireland, Colin Neal, Chief Executive of Hospitality Ulster, and Irish Times Business Affairs Correspondent Mark Paul. But we're going to start with news that Ryanair is cancelling more flights, some as far away as early next summer. I'm joined in studio by Irish Times Consumer Affairs Correspondent Connor Pope and Barry O'Halloran from our business team. Connor, Ryanair has announced that 400,000 passengers have had their flights cancelled, some well into next year. What's happened this time? Well, in its own words, Ryanair announced that it was planning to, quote, grow more slowly this winter by flying fewer of our 400 aircraft between November and March. Now, grow more slowly is clearly a a euphemism for cancelling the flights of 400,000 passengers. Um, And they're doing it because they don't have enough crews and pilots to manage their rosters. And that's an undeniable fact. Now, the interesting thing is when Michael O'Leary was asked about this last week, He said that Ryanair would not be cancelling any more flights. He was asked, would there be any more cancellations coming down the tracks? And he said, and I quote, no, this is a blunt measure, cancelling 2% of flights over a six-week period, but we believe it will address the issue. I can't ever give you guarantees that there won't be cancellations or there won't be disruption, but I can certainly give you guarantees that I don't think they would because of rostering mess-ups or foul-ups. There will not be a management screw-up over the next number of weeks. Now, that's what he said last Thursday, and then today we heard that they were cancelling a whole raft of of additional flights. Now, O'Leary today is saying that it's not due to a management screw-up, it's, and again a quote, it's a sensible schedule changes. So that's the line that Ryanair is trotting out, that these are sensible schedule changes. They're slowing the growth of the of the airline. They're going to fly, I think, 129 million passengers this year when the estimates were that they'd be flying over 131 million passengers. And they're saying they're doing this in the best interest of, of uh, the airline and all of its passengers in the weeks, months and years ahead. Um, they've also offered or provided or published a list of the, the routes that they're cancelling. Um, and on one level, the news is quite good for Irish passengers because... There's only one Irish airport impacted by the cancellations, and that's uh, the London-Gatwick-Belfast route, which has been scrapped for the winter months. However, since Ryanair published the list of cancelled flights or the list of routes that it was cancelling, we've had people contacting us to say that they had flights due from flying in from Madrid to Dublin in January of next that have been cancelled. So I'm not sure if the list that Ryanair have supplied to us is entirely complete as yet. Yes, because they did this the last time. They said uh, a certain range of airports were affected, but in fact those were the hubs. 
the flights that were affected could affect a lot of, of a lot of other airports too. Presumably this is exactly what's happening this time. Indeed. So I think what uh, Ryanair needs to do is it needs to make it very clear to everybody exactly what flights are being cancelled. Um, and it has tried to manage the situation slightly better this time than it did two weeks ago in that this time it has said that passengers will be offered the, the, the refund or the rerouting, as is the law. And it's all also going to give the passengers a 40 euro per leg travel voucher that they must use in October and they can book a flight between October and March of 2018. Of course, that excludes the Christmas period, which is busy, so you can't use your voucher in that period. And they've also said that the people who suffered in the first raft of cancellations a couple of weeks back, the 315,000 customers, they'll be able to get a voucher as well. I'm not sure if that will be enough to quell the anger that a lot of people will feel if they had flights booked significantly far in advance um, and I'm not sure if it'll be enough to steady the ship but Ryanair sure as hell is hoping it will be. Yeah, And, and this question of slow growth it is in fact 400,000 people who have already booked flights who are going to be affected and it's not just the winter schedule clearly because they are also I understand cancelling a certain number of flights from April onwards which is the sort of time that people are looking at the early summer bookings. Exactly. So they have, they've cancelled a higher percentage of the winter flights. So, so I think they've cancelled 25 uh, fl- uh, f- flights of the 400 and some odd that they have in the wintertime. And they've cancelled 10 of the 450 or so that they have in the summertime. So a smaller number of people who have booked flights for the summer schedules will be impacted. Um, but the question that will be hanging over the airline now is, is this it? Is that the end of it? Because we've been told in the past that there was going to be no more cancellations, and then within days there was a whole lot of more. Uh, there was a whole lot more cancellations, and so that's the questions going to, that the people are going to be asking. Because you know, a lot of people will be discommoded by this. There's no doubt about it. And unlike the first round of cancellations, people when people are entitled to compensation under EU Directive 261, nobody is going to be entitled to any compensation this time out because Ryanair has given them more than two weeks' notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry. This seems to be a mess all over again. I mean, what what is the likely impact on the reputation of, of Ryanair? I think this is very serious, actually. Um, and I mean, you, you, you were always last week, I think, inclined maybe to give them the, the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, this is a genuine screw-up, but it's a screw-up. They'll get past it. Um, it's an organisation that's that's been well adept or well able to absorb blows in the past. But this is giving the sense of... of an organisation that is frankly not ter- doesn't sound terribly well organised right now. It clearly appears to be stumbling over itself. It solved one immediate problem. It now appears to have identified a longer term one. And you've got to start asking the question, well, <clears throat> if you're hitting this issue when you're growing from 120 million to 130 million or 129 million odd, what's it going to be like when you're going from 130 to 140? Don't forget, this is an airline with with very ambitious growth plans that run well into the next day, almost into the middle of the next decade, if you like. Um, if it's, you know, are, are these logistical problems going to be a feature of it from now on? And if they are, that is a, it's going to slow down your, uh, it's going to slow down your growth, and b, it is going to damage your reputation with passengers on the one hand, because you can't be sure if you're booking something that the, that there won't be a problem, and ultimately shareholders in the investment community in general on the other. Because someone with an unreliable product um, can't be relied on to sell that product and therefore can't be relied on to deliver the, the returns that they say they will or the returns that the market expects. So, yeah, clearly, I think this is something that, that I, I really think as an organization now they need to take a step back and look at this. Maybe possibly, I'm not saying 
you know, cancel growth, um, but possibly alter their growth plans over the more medium term instead of hitting targets by 2020 and 2024, maybe push those targets out a little. Um, And they probably need to look at how they deal with staff and how they deal with pilots going forward as well, because the more of these people you have, the more demand you have for them. In essence, the more bargaining power they have as well. And I think that maybe Ryanair needs to now start looking to that. When when, uh, Michael O'Leary was eating humble pie um, at the time of the first raft of cancellations and when they put their hands up, he couldn't resist taking a cheap shot at pilots and uh, the ease of their life and and well-paid livelihoods. Um, This latest announcement, that time he said he would be able to retrieve one week's holiday from the pilots um, and that the company had the right to do that. This latest announcement seems to indicate that the pilots will be able to take all the holiday due this year and start January with zero backlog. Is this second raft of cancellations a sign that actually the pilots have forced Michael O'Leary and Ryanair to climb down and that he has a big challenge on his hands to repair relations with his staff going forward, specifically the pilots? I think it, uh, I think it may be. Uh, Michael O'Leary said two things on Thursday. One was the notorious remark about how, this, how being a, an airline pilot is fundamentally an easy job, except when you're landing and taking off in thunderstorms. <laughs> Um, the other was a sideways acknowledgement at one point that, yeah, maybe we have pushed pilots too far. And I, I would take that as an indication that there was probably something going on in the background where either the either Ryanair itself or Ryanair and the pilots were actually sitting down and saying, right, we have to come to some form of resolution here. Uh, this certainly looks to me like they are now maybe scrambling a little uh, through the rest of the year. They want to sort out this issue with the pilots, whatever it is. And let's face it, there's been, you know, there, there's been a lot of kind of shadow boxing on both sides, it's got to be said, uh, in relation to this. But there's clearly unrest there. There's clearly an issue there. The airline clearly needs to sort that out. And I think that, it, in essence, by starting with a clean, they're, they're hoping that by starting with a clean slate in 2018, that they'll be able to iron out whatever remaining problems there are. Um, but I, I, it is clear to me that, that there is an issue there at this stage. Clearly, uh, Michael has lost a lot of experience in the last couple of years. Hard Miller, Michael Cawley, people who've been with him from the start, who understood the airline intrinsically. Is that part of the problem, that as the airline has grown exponentially, there simply isn't enough strength and depth of of management experience to run an operation of this size? It's hard to know, uh, but that's a bit of a shot in the dark. I mean, uh, Howard Miller's replacement, Neil Soran, had worked with uh, with Howard for quite a long period of time. And certainly when you speak to him about the airlines, about the financial side of the airline, he does come across as an individual who's very much on top of his brief. But then when you talk to anyone in Ryanair in those positions, they all come across as people who are very much on top of their brief. And as an organisation right now, it doesn't look like it is on top of anything. Uh, Connor, finally, um, whatever about the internal problems of the airline and the problem with the pilots, from a passenger point of view, why should a passenger book with Ryanair now, if, having said that there'll be no more cancellations, there are more cancellations, what, what's the relationship going to be with passengers going forward? Well, they should probably book with Ryanair because Ryanair is still cheap. And that's the bottom line. And I would expect that what we'll see in the weeks ahead is a whole raft of promotions and sales being pushed by Ryanair in order to 
encourage people to forget the misdemeanours of the past and continue to fly with the airline because that's effectively all they can do. The two things that Ryanair have on their side are A, price and B, reliability because you can say what you like about their customer service or their their, their, their cabin crew or their, or, or, or their manner or all of that stuff but they do tend to get people from A to B on time and they are a low fare airline. If you lose one of those things, well, then you can only respond with the other, which is price. And I'd say we'll see a very, very competitive offering from Ryanair in the weeks ahead. Conor Pope, Barry Halloran, thank you very much. Time now for a short break. When we come back, we talk to Adrian Cummins, Colin Neal and Mark Paul about VAT and the hospitality sector. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life, June 2015. Welcome back. The issue of VAT for the hospitality sector has become a thorny issue north and south of the border. Short-term temporary rate of 9% was introduced in the Republic back in 2011, a rate that's now being reviewed. Meanwhile, up north this week, Nevin Associates, a consultancy, suggested that the north could benefit if its rate was reduced from 20% to 5%. I spoke earlier to Colin Neal, Chief Executive of Hospitality Ulster, and I asked him first, with London already preoccupied with Brexit and looking to contain its financial support for Northern Ireland and other regions, how realistic is it that it will seriously consider that sort of proposition? I mean, I, I think it is. I mean, there, there's a good chance, uh, obviously, to when we leave Europe, uh, we can actually have different VAT rates in different regions. And you have to remember, Northern Ireland is the only, uh, it's a well-trodden line, I suppose, you know, the only place that has a land border uh, with Europe, but also our second largest uh, market and indeed uh, competitor, the Republic of Ireland, uh, we're sitting here with 20% our colleagues down south at 9%. Uh, we need uh, a competitive offer. Uh, and I think there's every chance, particularly too, with the, the uh, confidence supply agreement with the DUP, it keeps it on the agenda and keeps it up there. Indeed, yes, I can, I can see that. Right. The, the report, uh, the Nevin report, suggests that, that such a cut could deliver £32 million, uh, in a boost to the Exchequer, and even up to about £109 million over a decade albeit there'd be a, a bit of an initial hit, about £4 million. But while that, we know the full scale of that initial hit, the, the key word in the longer term is potential. Uh, is it not overly optimistic? No, the, I actually think this report is, is very conservative. Indeed, this is a, a report, that, it's the very first report that has ever looked at Northern Ireland on its own. We've had previous studies that had looked as, as part of uh, a UK-wide cut uh, and then you had to extrapolate out the, the actual Northern Ireland piece. And indeed, this report only looks at accommodation and visitor attraction. If you add in food, uh, now that has to be extrapolated from the previous reports, it would, food alone would create over 4,000 jobs. Just on accommodation and visitor attraction, we could create 2,000 jobs. And indeed, on, on, you know, the, the cost of those 2,000 jobs, you know, and payback starts within two years. The cost is $4.2 million. It's chicken feed to a government. It really is. Um, obviously, we'd like to see it across the board, but I think it's a very good example of how it actually can be done. Uh, and you only have to look at yourselves that, you know, you are our evidence that it works. 
But of course, down here, they're they're actually looking at uh, arguing about whether we should uh, raise the rate once again back towards uh, our, our standard 13% VAT rate. Um, would you settle for something less than, than 5% in an attempt to, to improve competitiveness? Well, I mean, I, you know, at, at the bottom line is, you know, we think 5, 5% is the magic figure. But, like, you know, if somebody said to me, I'm not going to give you 5, but I'll give you 9 or I'll give you 13, obviously I'd take it. Um, but, I mean, Northern Ireland is coming you know, from a much lower uh, baseline than the Republic of Ireland. Um, I mean, tourists spend eight times more in the Republic of Ireland, but the population is only like two and a half times more. Um, so we have a long way to come. And I think the Northern Ireland product is pregnant with opportunity, but we're only in the delivery room. We do need to be, to be able to compete against the other 30, I think it's 33 countries in, in the EU have a lower VAT rate for tourism. It's actually a hospitality VAT rate, but everybody calls it tourism VAT. Uh, Adrian, you've heard what the case north of the border is. Can you explain why the 9% VAT rate is so important to the hospitality industry in the Republic? Well, it's important for competitiveness for Irish tourism, Irish hospitality and the restaurant industry. Over the last uh, number of years, we have created nearly 50,000 jobs, which is both part-time and full-time, 32,000 full-time, another 15,000, 16,000 part-time jobs in the hospitality uh, uh, sector. Um, in order for Ireland to keep, uh, keep our competitiveness, we need to keep our cost of doing business uh, down. Uh, VAT is a part of that cost on a business. The 9% VAT rate is one of, Ireland is one of 17 countries out of the EU 28 that has a VAT rate of 9 or less. So we believe that the 9% VAT rate is the correct rate of VAT to make Ireland competitive on the international stage promoting tourism internationally. Okay, and in, in the report that uh, you, you published today, um, Jim Power, the author, suggests that changing the rate, the current rate, could cost up to 6,000 jobs in the sector. Where does the figure like that come from? I mean, it, it seems easy just banding around multiple thousands here and there, but but how concrete is that that sort of threat? Yeah, well, Jim is a respected economist. He's been around a long time, so anytime we use we use Jim for all of our economic data, and uh, he's he's taken that from the from the from the CSO figures from from uh, over the last number of years. Um, where if you reduce VAT, you create jobs. You increase VAT, you stop or you reduce the number of jobs that are being created. But we, what we're factoring into this uh, argument is that Brexit, and specifically on the border region and the Midlands and rural areas, where, they ha- where in the border region, the cross-border traffic at the moment into Donegal, Cavan, Monaghan, is going on the opposite direction. And that's for... Uh, in, hospi- in the hospitality field. So we have members that, are both th- that have businesses on both sides of the border and they're telling us very uh, quite clearly that their turnover is down considerably in Donegal but their turnover is up in, in Derry. So that shows to us that there is and that's due down to the sterling fluc- fluctuation as well at the moment. Uh, in the Midlands and, and in the in the Cavanaghan Louth area, they haven't seen a major uh, lifting of all boats with regard to the tourism product in this country, uh, and that's a that's a case that has to be has to be made about the fourth brand for tourism, uh, looking at the Shannon region and making sure that everybody's been looked after. Uh, you also have uh, where you look at the visitor numbers that has come into Ireland. The U.S. market has performed extremely well, and that has been 
the uh, life jacket for our industry over the last number of years. But as the, if the dollar starts to weaken, and it has, you may have difficulty around a competitiveness in that area. And finally, if you are a tour operator and you're based in Germany or France, you've now contracted already with your, with your businesses in, in Ireland for 2018 and you're selling your tour series into Ireland. So if the VAT rate goes up on the 1st of January, those tour operators need to renegotiate uh, the price that has been sold. So if the government are to change VAT rate, they should have a longer lead-in time than a shorter lead-in time because it has a negative effect on the image of Ireland in the, in the, in the hospitality and tourism space. OK. Uh, Mark, uh, coming to you. Just a few sh- short weeks ago, the clear signal seemed to be that the 9% uh, rate was safe, at least for this budget. Uh, now it all seems to be up in the air again. What's happened to change the government's position on this? Well, the government has realised that it has very little room for manoeuvre in order to uh, in, in order to make changes elsewhere in the budget. And um, this is seen rightly or wrongly um, by some people in the Department of Finance as a, as a bit of low hanging fruit. Um, when, when it was introduced in two thousand and eleven, the nine percent VAT rate. Um, it was introduced with a caveat, with a warning, which is that if the industry continues or, or keeps uh, uh, raising prices, we'll take it back off you. Um, now, in the meantime, th- there are different parts of the tourism industry and, and, and the Dublin hotel sector sucks up an awful lot of the coverage and the energy around this. But if, if you look at the Dublin hotel sector, for example, I mean, prices have, have chased ahead to record levels. Um, uh, uh, so there, there is an argument that um, the, 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 the change from 13.5% to 9% um, hasn't increased competitiveness for the industry at all because price increases have far have far outpaced that. So the government is looking at this now as 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 as, as maybe a piece of low hanging fruit where they could raise a couple of hundred million euro that they could use elsewhere in their budget. Um, it, I, I think probably the greatest success of the tourism industry since the measure was introduced in two thousand and eleven is to, to to project all of the good things that tourism has done in that time since two thousand and eleven. And, and say this is as a result of, of, of the 9% VAT rate. I mean, there are other factors. Um, you know, our big source markets like the US and the UK, their economies recovered in the meantime. Um, and there were currency movements that, that, that made Ireland cheaper um, and, and for the US. Um, and, 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 and there were a lot of other factors that, 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 that came around to bringing tourism to where it is now, which is at record levels. Um, so I think it's probably, it's, it's a skill of lobbying, I think, by the tourism ministry that they, that they, 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 they project all of those successes onto the 9%. I don't think the 9% rate was responsible for all of it. And I, I suppose, um, uh, uh, you know, another, another factor in relation to this and one of the good things to come out of this debate is that what it does do is that it, it does focus attention at a national policy level on how important an industry tourism is. Um, I mean, you're talking about an industry that employs 280 to 300,000 people. Uh, you're talking about an industry that has been historically neglected by, by government after government until 2011. And there's an argument that it's probably still being neglected now if you take away leaving aside the 9% issue. Um, so that's, that's a good thing to come out of this debate, is that, is that you know, there is no other industry like tourism for bringing jobs to all different parts of the country. Its capillaries go into every town, village and city uh, in the state. Um, and, 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 and it is an industry that should be supported and maintained. Um, as to whether or not a 9% VAT rate is the correct and most efficient way of doing it, that's for policymakers to decide, I think. Because Kieran in his column this morning, Kieran Hancock in his column this morning, argued that the, the cut in the rate had helped to restore margins for the industry, an industry that certainly at that time was in crisis and fairly widely accepted was in crisis. But in fact, it, it didn't really do, do a whole lot for prices in, in, at the same time. I mean, is that a fair representation of the intention of the measure at the outset and or the outcome? 
I, I, I think when it was brought in, what the government was saying publicly was, look, we expect you to pass on this price increase to customers. The, the, I think the reality of the time was that was that restaurants, hotels and tourism businesses really didn't have any scope at the time to reduce their prices much further. It was 2011. We were already two and a half, nearly three years into the crisis, into the nightmare for the tourism industry. They'd already brought prices down pretty much as low as they could. Um, so... What the government was saying publicly was reduce prices, but privately, what I think a lot of policymakers expected was that, look, um, this is in a sense a bailout for the industry. Use it to repair your margins. Just try not to go bust. You know, this is this is this is a measure to help you not to go bust. I think a figure from the Restaurants Association of Ireland at the time, when it was introduced in 2011, was that in the previous two years, 700 restaurants had gone out of business, and that's why it was brought in. It was brought in to stop companies going bust, mm-hmm. and and so the 4.5 percentage points of of VAT difference, instead of all prices being Reduced by 4.5 percent. What a lot of it was used to do was was companies to repair their margins, and 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 that's that correct and proper, and 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 it was you know it it was the right thing to do at the time, but it was brought in as a temporary measure, and we're still here six years later. It, it was uh, Adrian a temporary measure. Uh, the industry argues that it's still is still critical, but there are other areas obviously that are that are critically fighting for funding in in what's a, a tight space, noticeably housing. We mm. hear daily about crisis there. Is there not an argument even for giving up some of the margin rather than going back up to 13%, maybe going to 10 or 11%, freeing up 150, 200 million for the government to look at, at, bailing, at helping out other sectors that now find themselves in the sort of position you found yourself back in 2011? Well, I'm here to represent a sector that is uh, important for the tourism industry, important for hospitality, important for jobs, specifically in rural parts of, uh, of the country where there's no other job and it's it's just tourism and it's seasonal work it's the season starts and pa- after patrick's day and it finishes in september uh, and those jobs are critical for a rural economy uh and as uh, as mark has, has has pointed out i think we take for granted our tourism and hospitality industry in ireland if this was a country like spain portugal malta italy or greece or croatia those countries put tourism to the forefront of their economy. And think, I think we are often left behind. When you equate agriculture, the number of jobs versus the number of jobs in tourism, we, we employ far more and we have a bigger reach. Um, whether the government will look at increasing or not, it's down to the government and the, program, the confidence and supply because there's three partners in this. It is, it's in the programme for partnership. There's a specific line in it that provided that competitiveness is kept in place. And I can assure you that the restaurant industry has kept its, its, its agreement on competitiveness. We have taken two hits on the minimum wage increase over the last two years. We have three more to go to get to the end of this, to bring it up to 10, 25. We have also have increasing cost of doing business around insurance and, and other areas as well. So th- that's what we're doing. What we're trying to do is make sure that we provide a good good quality product at a right price that is competitive for tourists to come to this country. And and uh, understanding, obviously, you don't, don't speak for the rest for the rest of the economy and, and taking on board the point you make about rural uh, outlets in particular, is there some merit in an argument also raised in Kieran Hancock's column of the introduction possibly of a city bedroom tax, quite a common feature across Europe that would at least put give the government some money from, from the fairly buoyant city sector while still ring fencing are protecting the the more vulnerable rural uh, outlets in the restaurant and hotel trade 
I've seen commentary around uh, city uh, and bedroom tax uh, in uh, over the last number of days, and that's around the accommodation site. That's for another representative body to argue that argue for or against that case. Uh, we're here to argue that the nine percent should be kept in place. Uh, what we are hearing is that uh, a substantial number of politicians are starting to change their mind in in favour of keeping it at nine percent, and those politicians are in the border and the rural and the midland areas where they know there's only one job and that's in tourism. Okay, Martin, just to, to wrap up really, uh, understandably Adrian's here representing the restaurants business, but but from a broader perspective, is there merit in a city bedroom tax and is it likely that the government is, really is under pressure to do something in construction elsewhere and may have to look at, at getting some of the money back from, from that VAT cut? There, 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 there is some merit in, in, in a city bedroom tax to the extent that the city hotel sector is buoyant and there is capacity and, and, and there's a capacity to withstand something like that. Um, the broader issue about assistance for the tourism industry, I mean, I think the tourism industry is absolutely correct that it needs more state help. Um, the, the question remains as to whether or not a 9% VAT rate is is the most efficient and best way of doing it. And um, what they really should be doing is restoring the budgets of Tourism Ireland and Fáilte Ireland, which were absolutely mutilated during the crisis and have never been restored. And restore the budgets of those um, two agencies and you will bring in even more tourists into the country and distribute them in rural areas and in the middle of the country and and and, 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 and develop tourism products in, in, in along the border area in the Midlands. And that might be a more efficient way of doing it. The bottom line is that with a 9% rate, an awful lot of, there's an awful lot of leakage there. That 9% rate also applies to the staff canteens of Google and Facebook. Nobody intended that when it was brought in. It also applies to newspapers. It also applies to hairdressers and, and, and other businesses. So it's not the most efficient way of doing it. Mark Paul, Adrian Cummins, thank you very much for joining us today. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Business. My thanks to Adrian Cummins, Colin Neal, Mark Paul, Barry O'Halloran and Connor Pope. The podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Don't forget you can get the latest business news by signing up to our email, businesstoday at irishtimes.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Dominic Coyle. Until the next time, take care.